Hi, this is Sarah McCaslin with the Forgotten Sheep Podcast, and in this podcast, our subject is Thomas Bernardo. Thomas Bernardo was a, first and foremost, he was a good Christian man. He loved the Lord, and he was determined to follow the Lord's call. He had a compassionate spirit. He was also probably better known as an Irish philanthropist who focused his work on children in need in 1800s England, including uh, the area where Jack the Ripper did his work. And interestingly enough, at one point, Bernardo was one of the suspects in the Jack the Ripper case, but he was quickly cleared, as we'll talk about later. Well, during his lifetime, Bernardo was able to help over 60,000 children. His work continues to this day, and while his methods of fundraising were sometimes questioned, there was never a doubt in the uh, minds of those who honestly examined the evidence that his motives were pure. Now, what I like about Bernardo is he saw a need. He allowed the Lord to burden his heart with that need. And then when the Lord called him to do something about it, that's exactly what he did. All right, so let's talk about his early years. Well, Thomas, as we'll call him, was born in Dublin, Ireland in 1845. Now, an interesting uh, heritage, his father was Jewish and his mother was a Protestant Plymouth Brethren. As a child, Thomas was described as being short and not nearly as good-looking as his brother Henry. In fact, when people would come, when company would come, his parents would kind of go shuffle Thomas out of sight and bring out Henry for everyone to admire. (laughs) They would put Thomas out of sight in the nursery. And, you know, that had to have an effect on him. There's no two ways about it. He had trouble paying attention in school, and from what I've read of his problems, in modern times he would likely be diagnosed with ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or uh, possibly just Attention Deficit Disorder. Because of his uh, problems with paying attention, he was forced to leave school at the age of 16, and he found himself apprenticed to a winemaker working as a clerk. And it was during that time, while he was working as a clerk, that the Lord got a hold of his heart and he was born again. So he joined the Plymouth Brethren, that was the church that his mother was a member of, and immediately set out to begin witnessing, evangelizing, and teaching Sunday school. So as soon as he got saved, uh, he immediately started trying to reach out to others. Well, after he had gotten saved, he felt that the Lord was calling him to be a missionary, and he felt like he was supposed to go to China. So Thomas spoke with the head of the China Inland Mission, J. Hudson Taylor. And he asked Thomas to, if he was going to be a missionary, work as a medical missionary, that they had a tremendous need for medical support in China. And to that end, Thomas enrolled in medical school at London Hospital. Now, you know, as a med student, He had to be spending a lot of time studying. And you know that with his problems of keeping focus and attention when he was in elementary school, those problems probably surfaced again. However, as busy as Thomas was with his studies, he still kept working hard at evangelism. Now, one of the main areas of Thomas's work was in what was called ragged schools. Now, you may have heard of ragged schools, you may not, but basically, a ragged school was a free school for poor children. At that time in England, there was not uh, no such thing as public education. And so the teachers and leaders were usually employed outside of education, and then they taught their, the children on their own time. And the main subjects that the kids were taught were reading, writing, arithmetic, and Bible. And sometimes they were also taught industrial or commercial skills so that they would be able to make a living for themselves. Now, these schools could be held anywhere from beneath a railway arch to a stable to a loft. I think 
Um, it wasn't uncommon to see ragged schools held in donkey stables. Since uh, the people running these ragged schools were funding them themselves, they had limited resources. And it also needed to be a place where the kids could get to easily. Now, when it could be afforded, the schools also offered the kids food and clothes. But again, that's when it could be afforded. Now, Bernardo ran such a school. And the classes were held in the evenings after he had finished his studies for the day. Now, I think that is very admirable for this young man. The Lord showed him a need here. There were kids, there were poor kids. They needed help. They needed education. He himself had had to stop his education when he was 16 until he ended up going to the uh, London Hospital for medical training. And so no doubt he knew the value of a good education, especially in the lives of children who were disadvantaged like this. Now, why did they call them ragged schools? Well, the term ragged referred to the condition of the kids, more specifically their clothes. They were ragged, they were torn, and often only the necessities were there to guarantee modesty, and that was it. I mean, we just can't imagine the pitiful condition these kids were in. Now, a lot of times when these kids would show up the first time at a ragged school, they were in desperate need of a good scrubbing and a haircut, and they usually had lice. In addition, these kids were usually undernourished and neglected, and no doubt there were some of them that had been abused or taken advantage of on the streets. So these kids needed help. These children were in need of help. And fortunately, there were those in Victorian England who responded to this need. Bernardo was one of them. And he succeeded in reaching out to others who wanted to help. Many times there are people that have a burden for something and they want to help, but they don't know how. And it's good when there's a leader like the Lord used Bernardo, uh, Thomas Bernardo, to pull these people together and combine their efforts toward a common goal. Now, there were a lot of ragged schools at that time because there were so many kids in need. But the kids were still cold, hungry, and usually unprotected at night. And that's where the Lord really, uh, really got a hold of Thomas's heart with this. Now, business owners didn't want these kids sleeping in their buildings at night, and so the police would chase them off if they found them. So, that naturally led to these kids to be masters at hiding, okay? Really good at this, and good at escaping from the police. Most of the kids either didn't have any parents, or had parents that, because of circumstances, simply couldn't look after them. And before we start being judgmental about the parents, let's talk about the circumstances. Um, Widowed mothers that had to go out and make a living to get food in these kids' mouths. Single mothers who did not have a husband and yet had kids, and they had to get those kids fed. There were dads who didn't have a wife anymore, widowers, and they didn't have anyone to look after the kids during the day. There were parents that were sick. It was not uncommon in the days before environmental protection and things like that for people to be exposed to very dangerous chemicals at work or exposed to dangerous situations where they could lose a limb. And so then there were kids with parents who were sick or were disabled. There were also the children of people who were mentally ill that simply did not have the facilities the mental facilities to be able to handle taking care of a child. There are so many reasons that can be behind why a child is being neglected. It's not always parents who are purposefully neglecting their kids. Yes, there are those people. But are we going to judge the kids and refuse to help the kids because, I guess in more colloquial terms, their parents are jerks? That's one of the things I liked about uh, Bernardo's work in later years. One of his rules was we don't ask questions. If a kid comes to us and needs help, we don't ask them if they were illegitimate or not. We don't ask any questions. We help them. 
So, we have these kids. They need help. Their parents are living in the ghettos of London. The kids, some of them didn't even have parents left. And they're living in the ghettos. And they were exposed to all manner of sin and wickedness. And guys, if that's not enough reason to get kids off the street, I don't know what is. And they had no one to protect them. And they had no one to warn them. And it was terrible times. There was child prostitution going on. There was uh, human uh, human trafficking, as they called it at that time, uh, white slavery. Uh, girls being sold to men in other countries. Men sh- uh, on the market looking for virgins. And that's the environment these kids were put in without protection. And they needed someone to help them. Now, Bernardo's Ragged School was in East London, which was a notorious area of poverty. So, East London is also the location of the Salvation Army's early work, and it was the hunting grounds of the notorious Jack the Ripper. And basically, East London was made up of street after street, of tenements, pubs, and places of cheap adult entertainment. It was dilapidated. It was dirty. It was neglected. It was disease-ridden. And people, most people, didn't want to go in there unless they had to, except for a certain segment of the very wealthy population that would pay to take um, rides through the poor areas for entertainment. Well, that's uh, the area where the Lord had led Thomas to set up his ragged school. So one night, Thomas was dismissing his class of boys, but one boy named Jim Jarvis had stayed behind. And it was an icy, icy cold night and very humid. And the boy asked Bernardo if he could spend the night in the classroom. And Thomas said no. And the boy seemed so disappointed. And so Thomas decided he would get to the bottom of this. So he sat down and talked with him. And Jim informed him that lots of the boys in his ragged school didn't even have homes to go home to. So in exchange for a hot meal and a few cents, Jim took Bernardo on a tour of the various places that the boys he knew would spend the night. And on top of one one of the roofs in East London... Thomas discovered a large group of boys sound asleep in the cold night air, asleep on top of the roof. He had no idea that things were this bad. He had no idea that there was just no place for these boys to go. And so a short time later, Bernardo was attending a missionary conference in London. Don't forget that he was studying to be a doctor so he could be a medical missionary. Now, because he was studying for the mission field, he was asked to sit on the platform, much to his discomfort. And when the main speaker didn't show up, the MC asked Bernardo to take a few minutes and tell the congregation about his ragged school. Thomas was utterly horrified. He was not a public speaker. And he said in the beginning, his talk was very rough. But soon his passion for this cause took over, and he held the audience spellbound. Now, not everybody believed the story that Thomas was telling. Some of them believed he was exaggerating. Some of them believed he had fallen for a prank by the boys. One of the people that had been active in ragged schools wanted some more information, and his name was Lord Shaftesbury. He had been active again in funding ragged schools for as long as Thomas had been alive. However, he felt Thomas might have exaggerated conditions, possibly to get attention and donations. So, if this was a legitimate need, Lord Shaftesbury wanted to know so that he could help. So, he invited Bernardo to dinner at his home and invited some of the biggest skeptics of Bernardo's report. And after dinner, they pressured Bernardo to take the group of well-to-do men on a tour of the boys' hiding places to prove that such severe conditions really existed. And so that's what Thomas did. And in one particular uh, 
place he went, and I like this story. They go into a warehouse, an old warehouse, and it seems empty as can be. No sign of kids anywhere. And I imagine those men were looking at each other thinking, yeah, yeah, we can see how many boys there are in here seeking shelter. And like I said, it was an old warehouse. It was dark. It seemed completely empty. And Bernardo just walks up and randomly sticks his hand under a piece of tarp and pulls a kid out. <laughs> so help me. He just randomly walks up to one and pulls out a kid. <laughs> now, um, once the kid was convinced they weren't the cops um, and they promised him some money, they said, listen, show us where the other boys are. And we'll give you some money and a hot meal in a few minutes. 70 boys appeared in that warehouse that were also hiding under tarps. And at that point, the gentleman there with Lord Shaftesbury agreed that Thomas had been telling the truth. His report had not been exaggerated. And I like what they did next. They treated the boys to a simple dinner at night, um, at that, that night, at an eating establishment that Thomas was familiar with. And so they made sure those boys had a hot meal before they sent them on their way. So the need was real, and because of Thomas's work and because of the work of Lord Shaftesbury, more and more people were being made aware of the fact that this was a real and legitimate problem. Now, during this time, Thomas still had his eye on going into the mission field in China and was continuing his medical education so that he could serve as a medical missionary. However, as is the case so many times, the Lord had very different plans for Thomas. He was turned down by the China Inland Mission. Now, there's a lot of reasons given for his rejection. Some of them may or may not have been valid. I don't know. But some people said that he had an aggressive personality and aggressive attitude. However, and I like this, they didn't just leave him hanging. They didn't just say, we're not accepting you. Some of the leaders advised him that it is possible the Lord intends for you to continue your work in East London. This may be the very work that the Lord wants you to do. The boys needed him and nobody else was nearly as successful as he was in meeting those needs. And gradually, Bernardo realized that it's true the Lord had called him to minister to the poor children of London. And so he stopped his education and began to devote all his time to the work. Now, if you're wondering about how Bernardo uh, made a living, his family was independently, independently wealthy. So he was able to do this without it. Uh, he was able to devote all his time to it. So um, now that he was officially going into this full time, he founded the East End Juvenile Mission. And you can find a, a sketch of it from when it was in its early days. You can find a sketch of it on the internet if you would do a search. And if you do, you'll see a, a three-story building. It looks like it has two entrances and lots of windows. And at one part of the building, it says East End Juvenile Mission. And on the second floor, it says Sunday and weekday Bible schools. So this served as a ragged school and orphanage home for boys in need only boys. They followed a very strict schedule with the boys, but they also provided them with food, with clothes, with shelter, with an education, and with exposure to the gospel. So now these boys did not have to sleep outside in the cold anymore. Now during this time, he ran into a young woman named Syrie Louise Elmsley. Um, Syrie was a nickname for Sarah, and her interests were the same as Thomas's, and they came from similar backgrounds and similar backgrounds of wealth. Now, he was too busy to pursue her, but then he changed his mind after he encountered her again, this time at a funeral, oddly enough. And so he courted her and married her. And they combined their passion for the lost and homeless children of London. Now, I think that's neat. I'm sorry, I just think that's neat that he was able to find a wife that felt as strongly as he did about these children's needs and had 
had the same uh, had the same passion for it. Now you might be wondering, um, with the type of work that he was doing, was Thomas ever in danger? And he he was. He was often out on the streets late at night, and more than once he was robbed and roughed up by some youths. Now one time. Um, he got robbed. He was making his way home very slowly because they had beat up on him also. And one of the boys that had cleaned up on him came up to him and handed his things to him and said, We're awful sorry. If we had known you were Bernardo, we'd have never touched you. So with time, as these boys began to realize that he was there for their best interest, he was there to make sure they were taken care of, they respected that. Now, here's the funny part. The worst beating that Thomas Bernardo ever received was at the hands of a group of teenage girls. I'll tell you what, if you get a pack of teenage girls after you, you are in serious trouble. And Thomas would agree with this. It seems that several of their boyfriends had decided to move into Thomas's mission and take advantage of what he had to offer. And they weren't happy about this. They were not happy about the choice their boyfriends made, so they took out their rage on Thomas. <laughs> so, you know, I just, you know, normally you would think he would be in most danger from the young boys. Oh, no. Oh, no. It was a pack of angry teenage girlfriends. Yep. So, um, I thought that was funny. Kind of a interesting antidote here that also tells you the kind of change it was making in these young people's lives. Well, one of the rules that Bernardo had was that no child would be turned away. Now, in his early days, Bernardo was almost obsessively strict about the verse, Oh, no man anything. And he would only accept as many boys as he knew he had the funds to cover. But that all changed. And this is very heartrending. One night, a young boy arrived asking for food and shelter. But Bernardo didn't have the funds in hand and the 11 year old boy nicknamed carrots by his friends walked away heartbroken two days later carrots was found dead from malnutrition and exhaustion that tore up bernardo so bad he was beyond horrified that he had turned away this boy, and this boy starved. He felt responsible for it. And he made a rule that they would never, ever, ever turn a child away again. Now, later on, uh, Bernardo's work would include girls, but this was not until after he got married. When he was single, he didn't even try to work among the girls. It wasn't that he didn't care what happened to them. It's not that he valued young ladies less, but he believed in being very discreet. And as a Christian, we're to avoid the very appearance of evil. And he did not want to give the appearance of evil. It just didn't look good for a handsome young man like him. And yes, well, when they were young, his brother may have been better looking. He grew up to be a terribly handsome man. It didn't look good for a handsome single man to be involved in trying to help girls. However, when he got married, and now that he had a wife, that opened up new opportunities for their work. And so he and his wife started a home for girls. But he soon discovered that trying to have a home for young women was a lot different than trying to have one for boys. He accidentally overheard some of the girls talking. Now, a lot of these young women in East London turned to prostitution in order to put food on the table, okay? Some of these prostitutes were extremely young. Some of these girls had been used, sold by their parents for prostitution. And so they had been exposed to all kinds of uh, sexual things, okay? Um, and basically what Bernardo heard the girls discussing I can't think of a good word for it. It basically upset him terribly. He thought, oh my goodness, my home for girls is turning into a training center for depravity and prostitution. And he realized that maybe these girls 
needed something more than what they were providing for them. And so instead of just throwing it to the wayside and saying, you girls are a disgusting, filthy lot, and I'm not even going to try to help you. What he did, he did the smartest thing in the world. He took it to the Lord in prayer. Instead of having a knee-jerk reaction and just throwing his hands up in the air and giving up on it, uh, instead of making a a split-second decision, he took it to the Lord. He asked the Lord what the Lord would have him to do. He didn't want to give up on the girls, but he also knew that they couldn't let this kind of thing continue. They couldn't bring younger girls in there and have them polluted by older girls. It just was not good. He just could not bear that type of thing going on under a shelter that he was responsible for. And so he had a dream that night, and it showed him what needed to be done. And so what he did is he began opening smaller homes for the girls, and each one had a woman in charge that acted like a house mother. She was a mother figure for the girls. And the girls were organized into smaller groups. They had morning devotions held in small groups. And in order to help them set their sights higher, than their former life and to set their sights higher than what they typically saw women in their area doing to make money they trained them and gave them an education and they specifically trained them so they could get jobs as servants in wealthy homes that would not only get them out of uh it would get them out of the ghetto out of east london it would get them into a a better environment. It would get them a way to make money without having to sell their bodies and without having to put their health in danger as many of the women did in the warehouses and factories. And so this approach that he developed, it seemed to work and it seemed to work very, very well. Now, Bernardo was doing his best to seek the Lord in prayer so that he could order this work in the way the Lord wanted him to do. It wasn't so much, I don't think, his work as the Lord's work, and he was working for the Lord, which is the way that it ought to be. And so the Lord was able to very freely bless this work, and other people that were working in the same area, trying to accomplish the same things, got jealous because of the extreme success that Thomas Bernardo was having, and so they began to make public attacks on him, on both his morality and his methods. And what's really sad is this came from so-called Christians, and these attacks were vicious. And here's where Bernardo made a huge mistake. He tried to defend himself. And guys, when things like this happen, we need to leave it in the Lord's hands and not defend ourselves because it just makes things worse. He wrote up a refutation of the charges against him and gave it to a friend. And his friend was going to write an anonymous letter to the paper. Well, they did. Bernardo handed over the refutations His friend wrote it up in a letter. It got published in the paper, and Bernardo's enemies responded with even more hatred and more accusations. And so this time, Bernardo's friend wrote the letter without telling Bernardo, and he was extolling all Bernardo's virtues, and the letter was just not written in a Christ-like manner. And I can only imagine how horrified Bernardo was when that appeared in the paper. And so then Bernardo's enemies tried to say that he wrote both letters, including the one that extolled his virtues. And he didn't, but it just got into a big mess. So, what kind of accusations were they making against Bernardo? Well, they said he called himself a doctor without completing his degree. Well, to be honest, lots of men with the same level of training as he had also called themselves doctors. But Bernardo went ahead after this accusation was made and finished his medical degree just to spite them and so that he could indeed call himself doctor. One of the worst accusations against him was that he consorted with immoral women. Now, that is a a damning accusation against any Christian worker. What happened was he had a former landlady that was mentally ill, and they tricked her into saying she had been intimate with Bernardo, which she had not. And they said Bernardo had been seen all around these women of ill repute, 
as well as some unsavory men, too. And he was, but he was trying to find boys that needed his help. He wasn't there to entertain himself. He wasn't there to find pleasure. He was there on business to try to help these boys. Now, no other accusers ever came forward. So it was pretty much just empty rumors that were being spread about him. Now, they also tried to say that Bernardo used all the money he raised for himself. He, as was his wife was independently wealthy. Now, in answer to this accusation, he did do a good thing. Now, there's some there's some things you can respond to on this one. He had him do an audit, and every single penny of money was accounted for, and not one cent had ever gone into Bernardo's pocket. Now, Bernardo, they said, locked the boys in dungeons where rats would nibble at their toes. That, to me, sounds like a story that a kid would start. We can only hope. Now, Bernardo had quiet rooms where unruly boys were locked for short periods of time. But because of these rumors, he stopped doing that altogether, which is probably for the best. Now, they also said he faked the photographs of ragged children. This was before Photoshop. And so they said he would pose the kids in these awful clothes and make them look dirty and nasty and pitiful so that he could impress people. And the kids were actors. Um, Fake news might be what we would call it today. Well, photography was much more complicated in those days. He did pose children. He did adjust their appearance. However, he took pictures of those kids when they arrived. And it was difficult to get good lighting and everything to use these pictures for guess we could call it uh media purposes and so he would take pictures of them again later to and make them look like they had in their original pictures so i don't think he was trying to exaggerate or anything like that um it might not have been the best approach but if you do a search for pictures of kids that were helped in bernardo's work You'll see a lot of the intake pictures of those children that were not touched up, and they were horrifying. And you'll see pictures of kids with limbs missing, kids with, uh, one of them, one of the most pitiful ones I saw was a child with a cleft cleft lip missing an eye with just a strap of uh, black cloth over his eye, and he looks malnourished, he looks like he needs some tender, loving care. And that's exactly what he was able to get at Bernardo's Homes for Kids. In fact, Bernardo did a lot of work among children that were handicapped and that were medically disadvantaged. Now, let's talk about another accusation that came after, came to uh, Bernardo. He was one of the initial suspects in the Jack the Ripper murders. He had the skill of a surgeon, He had been seen on the streets at night in less than savory parts of town. So he worked in the Whitechapel area where the killings took place. However, Scotland Yard never took him seriously as a suspect because his size and appearance didn't match the descriptions of Jack the Ripper. So, And also they said that he was just simply too well known to have been able to commit those murders and gone unnoticed. People knew who he was. They knew him by sight. Now, here is an interesting fact, guys, and a rather sobering fact. One of the women that became a victim of Jack the Ripper was Elizabeth Longliz Stride. She was one of a group of women he had witnessed to not long before she was murdered. So, Bernardo witnessed to one of Jack the Ripper's victims not long before she was murdered. Isn't that something. You know, we never know when we reach out to people and we speak to them and we witness to them, we try to encourage them, we try to lead them to the Lord. We never know how much time they may have left on this earth. And if the Lord leads us to speak to someone, we need to respond for that very reason. Because they may not have much time left. We might be the last person to ever talk to them about the Lord. So, that was some of the interesting accusations made against Thomas Bernardo and his interesting connection with Jack the Ripper and one of Jack the Ripper's victims. Now, here's another interesting thing. 
Bernardo was holding evangelistic meetings in a tent near an infamous and beautiful pub called the Edinburgh Castle. Now, most services that he was holding in that area saw about 200 converts. But he realized that there was going to be a real temptation for them because of the pull of their old lifestyle, the drinking, their old friends, their old habits. It would be so easy for them to fall back into without some kind of an alternative. So when the Edinburgh Castle Pub went up for sale, Bernardo prayed and the Lord provided the money for him to buy it. And so he took this pub and turned it into a church a coffee house, and a diner. So he replaced the bar with a coffee house, put a church in there, and added a diner so that they could get a good hot meal at a reasonable price. They could drink coffee with their friends instead of drinking ale uh, like they had before, and gin like they had before, and they had a church now. So I thought that was pretty neat. Well, during all this time, uh, Bernardo was having a family of his own. You know, he married Sire, and they had seven children, but only four of them lived. And one of their kids, named Marjorie, was born with Down syndrome. Now, Sire later commented that Bernardo made a specific effort to spend extra time with Marjorie. And his experience with his own daughter opened his eyes to the needs of other disabled children. Now, I found this absolutely adorable picture of Bernardo, his wife, and Marjorie having tea together. And he's there with his wife and daughter, and Marjorie has on this big floppy hat and is sitting by her mom. And he looks very at ease. In so many of his pictures, uh, Bernardo looks rather stressed and rather stern and serious. But in this one, he looks much more at ease. Now, I thought that was sweet that as he saw that his own experienced the problems of his own daughter, he began to work more with meeting the needs of disabled children. I believe it was in, I want to say 2015, that uh, the charity that still continues that was founded by Bernardo, they released a lot of the pictures uh, intake pictures of children that had come into the Bernardo homes that were disabled. And like I said, there is pictures of kids missing limbs, pictures of uh, kids, one child missing his eye, children that were sick. They took in children that had epilepsy, children that had all kinds of physical problems, and they tried to help them. So let's talk about Bernardo's goals. This is what he had to say. The homes are conducted on the broadest Christian basis, consistent with loyalty to the truths of the gospel. In other words, they were passionate about helping children, but they would never put that ahead of obeying the Lord and obeying what the Bible teaches. Now, he also said they are interdenominational homes in the following very important senses. They receive children of all creeds or of none without any regard to denomination. They are supported by sympathizers in all sections of the Church of Christ, irrespective of sect. They are carried out and practically managed by workers who, like the subscribers, also belong to every section of that church universal which is made up of all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. And an earnest endeavor is therefore made to bring up each child in the church to which its parents nominally belonged. Now, I'm going to insert a note here. When children were taken in, they would make an effort to find out what denomination or what religion their parents were. If they were Catholic, if they were um, Anglican, Episcopalian, if they were Methodist, uh, or like his own mother, Plymouth Brethren. And he said, I am bound to add that the chief aim of all associated with me, irrespective of churches or denominations, is to bring these children up experimentally in the fear of the Lord and to draw them in faith and love to the feet of our Savior Christ. Now, many of these charities that were around would not accept illegitimate children. Bernardo's group had no such prejudice. Anyone in need found an open door, regardless of what their parents had or had not done. 
They also didn't care about race, unlike many other charities at the time. They took in kids of all colors, okay, of all ethnicities, of all backgrounds. They welcomed children with disabilities and handicaps. And as I'm uh, talking and sharing this with you, I'm going through my notes, and I see one of the pictures is of this poor little boy. Uh, He's got, uh, I think, braces on his feet. One leg is much shorter than the other, and the foot is smaller. All kinds of medical problems. And they welcomed these kids, which, again, many of the charities at that time did not. Um, It's maybe they did not want to be burden with these problems is their thought process they or they i don't know but bernardo made sure that they had on him what they needed to help these kids no doubt his medical background helped with this also and um to help those with serious handicaps they built special homes where their needs could be attended to now the bernardo homes were very careful not to proselyte As I said, every attempt was made to raise the children in the faith of their parents. Jewish kids were sent to Jewish homes for children. Roman Catholic kids were sent to Roman Catholic homes for children. Uh, Children in the homes were divided into Anglican and nonconformist. And what they wanted to do was what was best for the kids. Okay, so I like that. Now, some of the children were boarded out to families in rural districts. The families received a small stipend, and there were random spot checks performed by female doctors. Girls were originally trained in domestic service, and later on, they were trained in other careers also. Boys were trained in work suited to their skills and their temperament. And by the time a child grew up in one of Bernardo's homes, they were able to make their way in the world. They had a strong foundation. Now, here's something else neat. Unwed mothers could find help at Bernardo's too. They would be placed in a domestic service position, and during the week while they were working, the baby would be boarded out to a family, and then the mother could visit the baby during her time off. So Bernardo believed that the best atmosphere for kids was one of family, and he tried tried his best to keep them in a family atmosphere. Now, as far as the early years of his work goes, Bernardo built workshops, fitted workrooms, started a city messenger's brigade, um, set up brush-making and boot-making departments, and a track department for the sale of improving literature, and started a wood-chopping service so that these kids had jobs that they could do. This provided the boys with job skills and helped cover some of the cost for the Bernardo homes. Now, the Messenger Brigade wore uniforms that were immediately identified. And also, and this is a clever marketing ploy, it also served to further advertise Bernardo's homes. Now, to give you an idea of how thorough they were with these, a new branch ragged school in Salmon Lane employed 24 people. This included a cook, a drill master, a trade manager, Two schoolmasters in-house, teachers, doorkeepers, someone whose primary job was to visit the sick, and a Bible woman. Now, I mentioned the girls' homes. He did a, used a slightly different approach with the young women. Um, a lease on the uh, land and a house had been given to Bernardo and his wife as a wedding gift. And within three years, there were 13 cottages. So he and his wife were able to buy the lease within a few years, and uh, they set this up as a community for girls. It ended up with 30 cottages, and then 90 cottages, and it turned into like its own village. It had its own school, its own steam laundry, its own church, and then it uh, ended up with over 1,000 girls living there. And those cottages are still standing there in London. Now, I'm not sure if they're still associated with Bernardo, but uh, they're still standing, beautiful cottages. And so it became almost a village where they had everything that they needed there. And it gave these girls a chance to grow to maturity without being exposed to the sin and wickedness on the streets, without being taken advantage of by unscrupulous people. 
having food in their stomach, having a roof over their head, and training so that they could provide for themselves. And this was a wonderful thing. Now, there were some things that Bernardo tried that didn't work out so well. Okay, he wasn't perfect. One of them that came under intense criticism was that of immigration. And I would be remiss in presenting this to you if I didn't include the bad things as well as the good things. So basically, children were sent to eligible families in Canada and Australia. And the idea that Bernardo had in mind was these kids would be cared for by the families. The families would love them and treat them as their own. They would be subject to regular spot checks, and then the kids could grow up. They would have learned to trade. Maybe they would have learned about farming. They could get their own land, and they could start a, a, a life. Well, as is true in so many things, what sounds good in theory doesn't always work out in reality. Spot checks were difficult because there was really not enough oversight overseas. And some of the kids became little more than slaves, and others were abused. And if you're curious about this, there was a movie um, called Sunshine and Oranges that came out in 2011 that addressed this. Now, they because London was so overcrowded and there was such a shortage of jobs, even for those with training, they thought that it would be better to help send the kids off where there were more jobs available so that there wouldn't be so much competition for jobs and maybe they'd fall into their old ways. The main concern from Bernardo's perspective was for their welfare and the welfare of their souls. However, this did not work, and it had to be it had to be stopped. Now, at one point, Bernardo found himself in a very difficult position. He couldn't generate enough funds for all the needs he was trying to meet, and so I love it. You'll read something. He has this problem. This situation comes up, and what is it that Bernardo always does? takes it to the Lord in prayer. What a lesson for us. I want to just pause here a second. What do we do when a problem comes up? I know for many years, if a problem came up, my first impulse was to call my mom. But guys, that's not a good thing. We need to take things to the Lord first. He needs to be the first person that we go to, not the last. If we want a real, genuine solution, if we want something that would help us be respond to a situation in a way that's pleasing to God, we have to go to the Lord to find out what he wants us to do. And so Bernardo took these things to the Lord in prayer, and that's what we need to do, whether it's financial problems, whether it's marriage problems, whether it's problems in education, problems in our work, uh, problems in our world, what we need to do is first and foremost take these problems to the Lord. That doesn't mean we don't go to other people for advice. I don't mean that at all. But the Lord should always be the first one that we turn to when we run into trouble. And that's what Bernardo did. He turned to the Lord. And the Lord promises that he will help us. But he can't help us if we are always running to someone else when a problem comes. So Bernardo went to the Lord in prayer. And once again, the Lord gave him a dream. And it's important to remember, the Lord does still speak to his people in dreams. Well, he had a dream. And as a result, Bernardo stopped appealing so much to the wealthy for money and began to appeal to middle-class children, not middle-class parents, not grown-ups, to children. He appealed to them to support his outreach programs, and those kids did not disappoint. And listen to this. His became the, he became the first to organize a mass charity giving where the needs were met by small donations rather than a few large donations. The kids were more than happy to go out and start trying to raise money for other kids. So the Lord, I love it, the Lord used the compassion that kids have for one another and brought the money in. I think that's precious. 
I know that I've heard um, many times with missionaries that are getting ready to leave for the mission field that if someone gets the children's group involved or a Sunday school or a youth group involved in raising funds, they do an excellent job of doing that. And so I think it's neat. The Lord showed him what to do and the money came in. So what did Bernardo do? When trouble came, he prayed. He looked to the Lord and then he obeyed the Lord. And that's the third thing we got to remember, guys. We have to obey the Lord. If we go to him for help, we need to do what it is that he tells us to do. Now, Thomas Bernardo passed away when he was just 60 years old. He had had several nervous breakdowns through his life, and it seemed like the stress that he lived under just never let up. If you look at pictures of him, you can see that stress in his face. And he had heart problems, and he couldn't seem to slow down enough to take care of himself. He couldn't seem to stop the work long enough to give his body a chance to recuperate and heal. And so one day, he was apparently sitting next to his wife, and he complained that his head felt very heavy. And Thomas laid his head over on his wife's shoulder, and there he passed away. Now, at his death, there were 8,500 children in his homes. There were 112 district homes and homes throughout the United Kingdom, and 60,000 children had been helped. Now, after his death, a national memorial was set up. Its goal was to raise money needed to absolve all the debts of all the branches of his charity so they could continue on a permanent basis. The Lord made a way for that work to continue, and his charity exists to this day. So what I, what I have found special as I've read about Thomas Bernardo, what I find special is his compassion. His compassion for the kids that were in need. And you know, guys, when we as a Christian people or as individuals lose our compassion, it's a sad day. Compassion is one of the evidences that I believe indicates we're a Christian. Jesus had compassion. It said he had compassion on the multitudes. He had compassion on the widow that was grieving the death of her son. And guys, he has had compassion on us or we wouldn't still be here. And so I love the compassion that the Lord was able to pour so freely through Thomas's heart. And it's my prayer that we, too, could be vessels for the Lord's compassion, that we could be a way for the Lord to show his compassion to people and to let them know that the Lord loves them and cares. And so, guys, don't let your compassion be destroyed. Don't lose your compassion. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this uh podcast and thank you for listening.